editor and podcaster Brendan O'Neill once correctly predicted. In certain circles, mask wearing will become a form of distinction, a way of distinguishing yourself from brainwashed cretins and showing you are a good person. Masks will become moral garments, public demonstrations of decency. Mask mandates, irrational lockdowns, compulsory vaccinations, authoritarian overreach, and bad science have since imposed a heavy weight upon our families, our businesses, and our communities worldwide. So drop your mask now and join Fielden R. Nolan as he brings to you another No Maskers podcast. No Maskers confronts the COVID false narrative and the hysteria with pandemic-related news, views, resources, and great guest analysis. You can find us at nomaskers.org. Let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another No Maskers podcast. My name is Fielden R. Nolan, and I'm privileged to be your host. Today is Friday, June 11th, 2021, and this is Episode 7, The Fenway Park Brain Freeze. Nomaskers.org began one year ago, a few months into the so-called pandemic. At the very beginning of it, there was a conversation in Washington which, according to John Rappaport, went something like this. Fauci, Mr. President, we have a new report from the UK. A computer model is predicting the spread of the epidemic. There could be two million deaths in the US if we do not take drastic action. There must be heavy lockdowns. The state governors will have to carry that ball but your position on this needs to be unequivocal. Trump, two million deaths, are you sure? Fauci, yes sir, quite sure. Trump, no way out except lockdowns? Fauci, that's right. Trump, well then, okay. Unfortunately, good neighbored folks generally have an often irrational reverence for undeserving authority figures because they're brought up that way, especially scientists with lab coats, clipboards, and a string of acronyms separated by commas after their name. Here's an example of this phenomenon. Dr. Felix Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, came out to Fenway Park to throw the first pitch for the Red Sox-Miami Marlins game on May 29, 2021. Yes, this is for real. Won't you please welcome the 19th Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Catching Dr. Walensky's pitch is Christian Vasquez. Okay, let's see a strike. Dr. Rochelle Walensky for all that you and everyone at the CDC does to protect our safety, health, and security at home and abroad. Rochelle Walensky quickly demonstrated her ignorance and incompetence within the first few weeks of her office. She predicted that Texas would potentially suffer massive COVID casualties when Texas Governor Greg Abbott lifted his mask mandates the 1st of March. 
Despite her scares and the widely reported but fraudulent reports of the prevalence of a highly contagious UK variant in Austin's wastewater system, the COVID cases continue to plummet and COVID deaths were down to zero within a month in Texas. More recently, Walensky has pushed for the vaccination of adolescents, which have more of a chance of getting hit by lightning than getting sick with COVID. More on this later. You see, the fans at Fenway Park cheered in spite of Walensky's ties to a corrupt administration and demonstrated incompetence. Moreover, your taxpayer dollars probably paid for that girl pitch. It turned out that the 2.2 million deaths in the U.S. touted by Fauci came from a U.K. Imperial College professor by the name of Neil Ferguson. That number was way, way off. His mathematical model was not science, but we were told it was, and we believed it. It turned out that the actual recorded 2020 U.S. COVID deaths, 375,000, is grossly inflated by the CDC. The CDC is currently under reporting adverse reactions and deaths related to the COVID vaccines. In fact, over 10,000 deaths were caused by COVID vaccines in the U.S. and Europe, as reported by the CDC and EMA by mid-April 2021. Astonishingly, in the U.S. at that time, there were more total COVID vaccine deaths than all the deaths from all other vaccines combined going back over 13 years. The death count for reporting is still going down. According to the CDC data on CDC.gov, there were only 9,210 deaths due to COVID alone in 2020. All this data is readily available, but my bet is that the Fenway Park person is unaware of it. There was not and is not a pandemic. COVID-19 is not a killer virus, and we knew by September 2020 that the actual overall mortality rate is actually 0.06%. The CDC actually admitted it fudged the numbers as far back as August 2020. We've known for over a year that COVID-19 is very treatable with FDA-approved drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, as well as vitamin D and zinc supplements. In light of these things, how is it that the CDC is viewed by so many as being a benevolent force for good? I can only conclude it is the Fenway Park phenomenon. The fans at Fenway Park clearly believe there was a virus on the loose which killed without regard to age or race. Their approval was evident when the game announcer lavished high praises upon the undeserving CDC director. If you can figure out why these things are so, you have the answer as to why the COVID cult has been so successful in managing misperception that so many people have about the pathogen and our response to it. Here's a no-maskers list of major COVID lies. With 2020 in our rearview mirror, here is the collected list of the major lies which were used against the well-meaning people to build the perception that there was a killer virus on the loose. The first, SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 is a pandemic-causing virus. In the U.S., 2.2 million could die of the virus by 2020. 
Face masks are effective in reducing the spread of the virus. Lockdowns are effective in reducing the spread of the virus. A PCR positive test constitutes a COVID case. mRNA vaccines are safe and effective. COVID-19 vaccines have been approved by the FDA to fight COVID. Hospitals have been full of COVID patients overflowing into the halls. Ventilators were commonly used in treating severe cases. Children and adolescents are at risk of becoming seriously ill and dying. An mRNA vaccine is an inoculation which reduces the likelihood of contracting or spreading a virus. Now there are of course many, many more COVID lies, but these are the biggest so far. The COVID narrative is falling apart, especially in the United States, and more lies will be constructed to keep the money flowing and the instigators out of jail. It's important to note here that I and most others that I've encountered who share my views on masks, lockdowns, and vaccines do indeed believe there is some kind of pathogen that can make vulnerable people very sick or even kill them. I had COVID six months ago and still have not recovered most of my sense of smell. I've lost friends who reportedly had COVID as a contributing factor to their deaths. Neither am I an anti-vaxxer. Any rational person would be in favor of truly safe and effective vaccines. But clearly the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines have not been demonstrated to be safe and effective. The obvious problem here is that our response to the pathogen is not proportional to the actual threat it poses to us. COVID is over in the United States, except. Two months ago, after Texas Governor Greg Abbott dropped the state's mandate on the 1st of March, 2021, the COVID-related mortality dropped to zero, and Fauci acknowledged that he can't explain why. The presumed president of the United States, Joe Biden, had blasted Texas for having Neanderthal thinking. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky had implied that Texas would be facing grave consequences in her now infamous feelings statement. She said, right now, I'm scared, on March 29, 2021. This wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. If we identify a date of the end of COVID-19 in the United States, it would be March 1, 2021. The reaction by COVID cultists was nearly immediate. In late March 2021, a very desperate Joe Biden pleaded with the states to enact mask mandates. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeds and Florida's Ron DeSantis joined Texas in vocally rejecting the mask mandates and protesting against the Biden insults. In short order, the rest of the red states followed suit. By mid-April, while the red states were opening back up, blue states like Michigan, which had the highest rates of vaccination and mask compliance, were feeling the heaviest load of new hospitalization cases. Of course, if vaccines and masks were effective in keeping the numbers down, why were the numbers up in the states deploying vaccines and retaining mask mandates? By mid-April, polls were indicating that schools should not be mandating masks for students. Nationwide, there was outright very vocal rejection of masks by mid-April of 2021, which could not be stopped by the mainstream media or our health experts, or our presumed president. By mid-May, even the over-the-top reports of death and doom in India and Brazil were deservedly being ignored. 
a month ago in early May, the CDC issued bewildering new guidance on mask mandates, which proposed mask mandates to be lifted according to whether the person has been vaccinated. The hand-wringing, mask-endorsing, mainstream media interned hammered CDC Rochelle Walensky. You said on Friday that the CDC is empowering the American people to make their own decisions about their own health. But this is all on the honor system. And there are people who refuse to get vaccinated, about a quarter of the country, and who oppose mask wearing, who could see this as a green light to go wherever they want, putting others at risk, especially in those indoor settings, including children and the immunocompromised. At this time, only 15 U.S. states and the District of Columbia have some form of mask mandate in place, most involved in illogical and unenforceable constraint that only vaccinated people can remove the masks. Retail stores have largely dropped mask mandates in most states, but many corporate work environments still require them. Another thing that was not supposed to happen is the outright vaccine rejection by a sizable number of people. On December 11, 2020, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine received an emergency use authorization from the FDA. The Moderna vaccine received its EUA a few days later on December 18th. The first vaccine likely administered was around December 14th in New York. Frontline healthcare workers and long-term care facilities were said to have prioritized along with active duty military. An unprecedented push for mask mandate began. But as early as late April, vaccination sites were closing due to lack of demand. In early May, in spite of heavy endorsement in the media, nearly half of the CDC employees were not vaccinated and only 30% of the U.S. population had been vaccinated. At this time, many states are struggling to reach 50% vaccine compliance and some began implementing compliance pressure. Hawaii, for instance, is pushing for 70% compliance as a condition of removing its lockdowns. Ohio and West Virginia have instituted lotteries using federal funds to encourage vaccination. Numerous businesses have issued coupons or raffles, but interest trails off quickly and the rate of compliance decline again. Most red states have enacted, or are in the process of enacting, legislation to ban vaccine requirements. Hospital employees are suing their employers for forcing vaccines upon them. Numerous schemes to enact some kind of passport card or app in order to track vaccination status have either failed at launch or never were launched at all. Florida and Texas have banned any attempt to institute vaccine passports and other red states will likely follow as they have in the past. It's already happened in Montana, and Wisconsin is discussing it. Some counties are looking at the use of vaccine cards as a condition for unmasking, but without the support of the parent state and surrounding counties, such an endeavor is sure to fail. I'm seeing the same pattern emerging with vaccine compliance protests as we had with nationwide mask and lockdown public protests last year with the fatal twist. They're saying... Whether one gets the jab boils down to a matter of choice. If the decision to get a vaccine is not between the person and their doctor, then a fundamental pro-abortion argument is called into question. Consequently, any federal, state, or local force compliance initiative will likely fail. In spite of academic, corporate, 
social media censorship and legacy media attacks against the truth about masks, lockdowns, viral origin, and vaccines, the COVID narrative will fail. I don't think for a second that this is solely because the U.S. population generally knows what is true versus what is spin. Instead, I think folks just want to get back to normal, and they don't want to be bothered with confronting their own convictions. Now, here's three exceptions to the COVID is over in the U.S. Exception number one, vaccine efficacy. As I write this, the most vaccinated nation in the world, the African nation of Seychelles, reintroduced restrictions due to a new coronavirus surge. Israel is in the top three most vaccinated nations and was among the first to report post-vaccine deaths. Now their post-vaccine COVID death count is so bad that they've appealed to the International Criminal Court, The Hague. After vaccinations began in March, Taiwan was, and still is, facing off-the-chart COVID hospitalizations. You would think that with headlines like this, vaccine rollouts would be terminated worldwide due to their obvious failure. After all, the fast-tracked 1976 swine flu vaccine rollout was terminated after only 362 adverse reactions were identified among the 45 million vaccinated. Clearly, something is different now. Adverse reactions to the COVID vaccines were not unexpected. For months, numerous qualified concerned doctors and scientists have expressed their concern over mRNA vaccine efficacy from the very beginning. Perhaps the most notable was Dr. Suma Swaminathan, I'm not sure I pronounced that correctly, and Dr. Harvey Risch. Risch had said, quote, what clinicians are telling me is that more than half of the new COVID cases that they're seeing to treat is people who've been vaccinated. They've estimated 60% of new patients they've been treating have been people who've been vaccinated, unquote. Here's a fact check of Risch's claim from PolitiFact. They say, Rich's claim, which appears to be anecdotal, does not line up with what data shows about COVID-19 cases among those who have been vaccinated. What kind of fact check is that? Of course his claim does not line up with CDC data, and whether the claim appears to be anecdotal doesn't matter at all. Rich never claimed to have concluded through a thorough investigation an actual number. Did the boots in the ground frontline doctors who successfully used hydroxychloroquine to successfully treat their patients need quantified numbers to reach a qualified conclusion that the drug is effective? When post-vaccine COVID cases started popping up, the mainstream media in concert dismissed the phenomena as the vaccines doing their job. Of course, that didn't make any sense, but some doctors still try to build vaccine efficacy around the phenomena. In April 2021, we heard the term breakthrough cases, nearly always preceded with the word rare, are to be expected. April closed with 10,000 reported U.S. breakthrough cases, with California having over 3,000 of them. Arizona State Representative Alma Hernandez tested positive on April 28th, 11 weeks after her vaccination. During this period, reports started coming in that all the occupants of the COVID beds in some hospitals had been fully vaccinated. 
Hundreds of vaccinated people in Michigan, Minnesota, Oregon, Nebraska, Idaho, and Florida checked into hospitals with COVID-19 and some of them died. In May, a number of New York Yankees, including the coach, contracted COVID-19 at least 14 days after being fully vaccinated. As of mid-June, nobody's even trying to explain precisely how a vaccine can inoculate the recipient against the targeted illness and that recipient contracts that illness. Obligingly, the journalists within our legacy media are not addressing that question at all. COVID cases among the fully vaccinated are not only not rare, some are now saying they comprise virtually all active cases in the United States. We'll know for sure in a couple of weeks. Even though the CDC dismisses breakthrough cases as being expected, they simultaneously are investigating them. Even more curious is the fact that the CDC has changed the total number of them to only 3,016 as of June 2, 2021, while simultaneously acknowledging an undercount. Obviously, the very moment it could be demonstrated in the U.S. that more than 5% of Pfizer vaccine recipients have contracted COVID-19 after their jabs, we know for sure the claim that the vaccine is more than 95% effective is invalid. The CDC had told us, quote, COVID-19 vaccines are effective at protecting you from getting sick. Based on what we know about COVID-19 vaccines, People who have been fully vaccinated can start to do some things that they had stopped doing because of the pandemic, unquote. But COVID-19 vaccines are clearly not effective at protecting one from getting sick. If those who receive the vaccine are getting sick and masks are effective in reducing the spread of the virus, why is the CDC recommending easing off mask mandates for them? Not only was the CDC not directly approached with this problem, they implicitly admitted to being the cause of the whole problem. Quote, we don't have the clinical trials to show that people who are vaccinated are not shedding the virus, unquote. Wait, whether or not a vaccinated person can shed and potentially spread the virus had never been investigated through any kind of formal trial process? No, they hadn't. And that was news for a lot of people who were paying attention. The CDC also said that vaccines were never tested in people with immune deficiencies. In early June 2021, though 77% of all British adults had been vaccinated, their Department of Health had registered another 6,048 COVID cases and another death, prompting variant warnings as fears begin to grow. Lockdowns, which they're now calling home quarantines, and travel advisories are once again emerging in Britain with their attendant color codes and endless media coverage. One Brit observed, quote, It caused me a lot of inconvenience, so clearly I'm not terribly happy about this situation, especially as I've had both vaccinations. I wouldn't have thought I would have had to go through 10 days of quarantine. What's the point of having vaccinations if we end up having to quarantine? Unquote. During the same period, the CDC had recorded more than 10,000 cases of post-vaccine infections. Work with me here. The CDC has never ruled out asymptomatic transmission of COVID-19. Millions of people are fully vaccinated but potentially comprise the bulk of current infections. Result? 
Millions of infected people are walking around maskless, spreading the very pathogen the public has assumed the vaccine was addressing. The logical conclusion here is that we're facing the largest group of super spreaders in COVID history. Rolling out booster shots, as a Pfizer scientist suggested, obviously cannot address this logical problem. Who then will be blamed? Well, the blame variance is to indict COVID-19 vaccine because any immunologist will tell you that natural immunity is not only superior to vaccines, it's also effective with viral variants. Note that there has been no real discussion about whether a COVID recovered person should need a vaccine to begin with, but at least one study indicates that there is no benefit at all in a COVID recovered person taking one. To blame anti-vaxxers is to also indict the COVID-19 vaccines because of the logical problem it creates. If any vaccine is effective against the pathogen, why should the vaccinated person fear being around the non-vaccinated? And last, it's futile to blame the vaccine manufacturers because they're exempt from any liability as a condition of their receiving emergency use authorization or EUA. The CDC is clearly fudging the breakthrough numbers and those that are vaccinated are now potentially COVID super spreaders. Here's another exception to the why COVID is over in the United States, vaccine safety. If you were asked to board an aircraft which has never been tested or approved for air flight, would you do it? Hopefully you wouldn't. But what we witnessed is a large number of people who are on board, strapped in and ready for takeoff, likely due to good folks readily believing baseless, irresponsible statements like this from the Houston Methodist CEO, Dr. Mark Boom, quote, science has proven that the COVID-19 vaccines are not only safe, but extremely effective, unquote. Biodistribution and immune reaction to the spike protein introduced by the Pfizer and Moderna formulations has become the focus of attention at the highest levels of related pharmaceutical industry and regulatory agencies. We have no idea of what is happening now because no controlled long-term studies have ever been done on humans using the mRNA vaccines. The oh crap moment may have already arrived. It has been assumed that breakthrough cases can only happen when vaccinated people are exposed to COVID-19. But what if the pathogen is the characteristic spike protein, which is introduced by the vaccine itself? It's also been assumed that the host production of the spike protein would remain in the area of injection and local lymph nodes. But it now appears that the spike protein actually enters the bloodstream and potentially crosses the blood-brain barrier. Ontario's Byron Brittle, a viral immunologist and associate professor who is throwing the alarms on these issues. Here's a quote from an interviewer of Byron Brittle. Quote, the biodistribution study obtained by Brittle shows the COVID spike protein gets into the blood where it circulates for several days post-vaccination and then accumulates in organs and tissues, including the spleen, bone marrow, the liver, adrenal glands, and in quite high concentrations in the ovaries. We've known for a long time that the spike protein is a pathogenic protein. It's a toxin. It can cause damage in our body if it gets into circulation, unquote. Brittle has unimpeachable qualifications. 
He was funded by the Canadian government and gained access to Pfizer's biodistribution studies. But he's far from being the only expert speaking out on this problem. No Masker's contributing editor, Dr. Circus, has an article going into detail about the potential problem and identifies experts who have been concerned about it going back to the 1st of last May. And here's exception number three, bringing the criminals to justice. Key court battles are already emerging in the red states. Unelective officials have set up emergency policies which are not to be questioned. State and local executive offices have set up emergency responses through executive order without legislative involvement, with impunity, and often abusing emergency powers constitutionally granted to them. And the emergency limits of law enforcement in enforcing executive orders were often breached. Wrongful death, barriers to entry, discrimination, and privacy, including vaccine passport initiatives, these suits are already queued up. Reimbursement for the loss of employment due to unlawful mask enforcement and vaccine compliance initiatives. Accessibility of doctors and hospitals for needed medical services. Federal and state level fudging of COVID numbers. These are the kind of key court battles which are already emerging in the red states. Now the established medical community has a lot to answer for. The CDC covering up mortality numbers Wuhan lab gain-of-function funding and subsequent cover-up, a pharmaceutical company skipping critical testing and cutting quarters in vaccine development, misleading, inconsistent, ambiguous, and arbitrary advice given to us by figures like Dr. Anthony Fauci concerning masks, lockdowns, and vaccines, and the injuries and deaths caused by the COVID vaccinations. Class action suits are needed, resulting in payouts to individuals and businesses damaged by lockdown mandates and vaccine damage. We have witnessed a profound lack of integrity in the legacy media, which treated you like children for a year and a half, obviously funded by the pharmaceutical industry. From where do they take their orders and how did they meet their licensing obligations while engaging in persistent fabrication, obfuscating, misreporting, and smearing? We have, of course, witnessed a manipulation of the major social media platforms to censor and smear expressions of concern up to the highest levels of executive office, including the President of the United States. It now seems clear that anybody still wearing a mask or pushing vaccine mandates are not people you want to be around. The potential personal and medical liabilities aren't worth it. These are likely people who currently believe in and currently support the criminal machine which has propagated the COVID scam. Remember this, when people with a demonstrated history of criminality make the plea, we're all in this together, you know we're in trouble. It seems obvious that an attempt has been made to change the very definition of the hard sciences. Medicine is a hard science, like physics, mechanical, and electrical engineering. There was never any science behind our response to the COVID-19 threat. Sociopathic governors, mayors, corporate executives, and attorneys exhibited stunning displays of irrationality and authoritarian overreach for some presumed greater good. People got sick and died because of a highly treatable pathogen with a very low overall mortality rate. Businesses failed due to the lockdowns. 
Collectively, billions, perhaps trillions, was spent in our response to a threat that wasn't anything near the scale of the 1918 flu pandemic. We've been scammed. We not only need answers, we need fixes. It's time now for Fauci's Wheel of Science. Let's give it a spin. Fauci says, the most pressing ethical question is to make sure that everything you do from a scientific standpoint is done for the ultimate good and positive issue for the people that you're caring about. Now, the question which begs to be asked, of course, is this. Dr. Fauci, what about the people you don't care about? Do you feel that same ethical imperative? This is supposed to be a happy occasion. Let's not bicker and argue about who killed who. It's time now for the No Maskers Hero of the Day Award. And that would be Dr. Byron Brittle, a viral immunologist and associate professor at the University of Guelph, Ontario, Canada. And he said, we made a big mistake. Let us bring in Dr. Byron Bridal. He's an associate professor of viral immunology at the University of Guelph. Doctor, you've been very, um, you know, uh, very open um, on this whole issue. And, and, you know, you're not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch. But what do you think about this inflammation in the heart? And and is is it an actual threat? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Alex. yeah, as you said, I'm very much pro-vaccine, but always making sure that the science is done properly and that we follow the science carefully before going into uh, you know public rollout of vaccines. Um, I, I hope you run. Let me run with this a little bit, Alex. I'll, I'll provide. I, I, I can. I, I, I'll forewarn you and your, your listeners that um, the story I'm about to tell is is a bit of a scary one. Um, this is cutting-edge science. Uh, there's a couple of key um, pieces of scientific information that have become privy to just within the past few days that has uh, made the final link uh, so we understand now myself and some key international collaborators we understand exactly why these problems are happening and and many others associated with these vaccines and the story is a bit of a scary one so just to brace you for this but i'm going to walk you through this the the science that, that I'm going to be talking about. Um, I don't have the time here to describe exactly the scientific data, but let me assure you that everything that I'm stating here, or that I'm going to state right now, is completely backed up by peer-reviewed scientific publications in uh, well-known and uh, well-respected scientific journals. I have all of this information uh, in hand. I'm in the process of mildly trying to put it all into uh, a, a document that I can ho- hopefully circulate widely. So your listeners are going to be the first to hear the public release of this conclusion. And I'll, I can Sounds back it up science. <laughs> so this is what it is. The SARS coronavirus 2 has a spike protein on its surface. That spike protein is what allows it to infect our bodies. That is why we've been using the spike protein in our vaccines. The vaccines we're using get our cells in our body to manufacture that protein. If we can mount an immune response against that protein, in theory, we, we can prevent this virus from infecting the body. That's the theory behind the vaccine. However, when studying the disease, severe COVID-19, everything that you've just described, heart problems, lots of problems with the cardiovascular system, bleeding and clotting is all associated with severe COVID-19. And looking and, and doing that research, what has been discovered by a scientific community is the spike protein on its own is almost entirely responsible for the damage to the cardiovascular system. 
if it gets into circulation. Indeed, if you inject the, the purified spike protein into the blood of research animals, they get all kinds of damage to the cardiovascular system, and it can cross the blood-brain barrier and cause damage to the brain. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem too concerning because we're injecting these vaccines into the shoulder muscle. The assumption, all up until now, has been that these vaccines behave like all of our traditional vaccines, that they don't go anywhere other than the injection site. So they stay in our shoulder. Some of the protein will go to the local draining lymph node in order to activate the immune system. However, th this is where the cutting edge science has come in, this, and this is where it gets scary. Um, through a request for uh, information from the Japanese regulatory agency, myself and several international collaborators have been able to get access to what's called a biodistribution study. It's the first time ever that uh, scientists have been privy to seeing where these messenger RNA vaccines go after vaccination. In other words, is it a safe assumption that it stays in the shoulder muscle? The short answer is absolutely not. It's uh, very disconcerting. The spike protein gets into the blood, circulates through the blood in individuals uh, over several days post-vaccination. It accumulates, once it gets in the blood, it accumulates in a number of tissues such as the spleen, the bone marrow, uh, the liver, the adrenal glands, uh, one that's of particular concern for me is uh, it accumulates at quite high concentrations in the ovaries. And, um, and then also a publication that was just accepted for uh, a, a scientific paper, just accepted for publication uh, that, that backs this up, looked at 13 uh, young healthcare workers that had received the Moderna vaccine, which is the other messenger RNA-based vaccine we have in Canada, and they, they confirmed this. They found the spike protein in circulation, so in the blood of 11 of those 13 healthcare workers that had received the vaccine. Uh, what this means is, so we have known for a long time that the spike protein is a pathogenic protein. It is a toxin. It can cause damage in our body if it gets into circulation. Now we have clear-cut evidence that the vaccines that make our bodies, or the muscles, or the cells in our, in our deltoid muscles, right, manufacture this protein, that the vaccine itself plus the protein gets into blood circulation. When in circulation, the spike protein can bind to the receptors that are on our platelets and the cells that line our blood vessels. When that happens, it can do one of two things. It can either cause platelets to clump and that can lead to clotting. That's exactly why we've been seeing clotting disorders associated with these vaccines. It can also lead to bleeding. And of course, the heart's involved. It's part, a key part of the cardiovascular mm -hmm. system. That's why we're seeing heart problems the protein, it can also cross the blood-brain barrier and cause neurological damage. That's why also in the fatal cases of blood clots, many times it's seen in the brain. And uh, also of concern is um, there's also evidence of a, of a study, this has not yet been accepted for publication yet, this one, they were trying to show that the antibodies from the vaccine get transferred through breast milk. And the idea was this may be a good thing because it prefer, would confer some passive protection to babies. However, what they found inadvertently was that the, the uh, vaccines, the messenger RNA vaccines, actually get transferred through the breast milk. It was delivering the vaccine vector itself uh, into infants that are breastfeeding. Also, with this, now we know the spike protein gets into circulation. Any proteins in the blood will get concentrated in breast milk. Looking into the adverse event database in the United States, we have found evidence of suckling infants experiencing bleeding disorders in the gastrointestinal tract. 
So Okay, let me pause you there because I've only got about 45 seconds left. I mean, the bottom line, this will scare a lot of people. This will freak a lot of people out. This this message, yes. So so this has implications for blood donation. Right now, Canadian Mm -hmm. Canadian Blood Services is saying people that who have been vaccinated can donate. We don't want transfer of these uh, pathogenic spike proteins to fragile patients who are being uh, transfused with that blood. This has implications for uh, infants that are suckling. And this this has serious implications for people for whom SARS coronavirus 2 is not a high-risk pathogen and that includes all of our children. In short, the conclusion is we made a big mistake. We didn't realize it until now. We thought the spike protein was a great target antigen. We never knew the spike protein itself was a toxin and was a pathogenic protein. So by vaccinating people, we are inadvertently inoculating them with a toxin. And some people, this gets into circulation. And when that happens in some people, it can cause damage, especially to the cardiovascular system. And I have many other, I don't have time, but many Mm -hmm. other legitimate questions about the long-term safety, therefore, of this vaccine. For example, with it accumulating in the ovaries, one of my questions is, will we be rendering young people infertile, some of them infertile? We'll stop there. Okay. I know it's heavy heading, but I have, I well, I'm up against the clock. I need like an hour when I talk to you because you you have so much information, and of course you're you're one opinion of many. But you know it's interesting because you have a, a different look at it, and certainly the. Uh... Now, Doctor Brittle said, the SARS-CoV-2 virus has a spike protein on its surface. We now know the spike protein gets into circulation. We thought the spike protein was a great target antigen. We never knew it was a toxin. So by vaccinating people, we are inadvertently inoculating them with a toxin, unquote. And we need more principled science like Dr. Brettel to step up and engage in honest discussion about what has been released upon the world in the name of science. No maskers hero of the day is. Dr. Byron Brettel. It's time now for the No Maskers Loser of the Day. On June 2nd, 2021, Dr. Anthony Fauci ran to NBC for his first softball interview since thousands of his heavily redacted but revealing emails were made public. In this softball interview, conducted by a cooing interviewer, Fauci expressed his conviction that science is a self-correcting process. He says he continues to evolve with the data. And just on this point of of your public profile, I I read through your emails that were released, and I I just want to read one of them. Um, There were a lot of inquiries about your public profile. I mean, this very conversation was much harder to have under the ex-president. And this was your response to one um, about whether or not you'd have a press conference. You wrote, yikes, that would make four days in a row without a press conference for me, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and tomorrow. I wonder if you feel like you're still making up some of that lost ground from many months under the last administration of not just no information but disinformation being out there do you still see some hardness among his supporters around the vaccine or around some of these messages you're sharing with us today yeah i mean there's no doubt that there are people out there who for one reason or other resent me for what I did in the last administration, which was not anything that was anti-Trump at all. It was just trying to get the right information, to try and get the right data. And what they didn't seem to understand, I guess that's understandable. 
<laughs> that they didn't understand it is that science is a dynamic process. So something that you know in January, you make a recommendation or a comment about it. But as you get more and more information, the information leads you to change because that's what science is. It's a self-correcting process. So when you hear someone say something at one point, and then two or three months later, if you stick with what you said at the original time when you had one-fifth the amount of data that you have now, I think that would be inappropriate. It's appropriate, although sometimes it's difficult for people to understand how as you learn more and more, you've got to continue to evolve with the data. And that's what I was trying to do, is to always tell the truth on the basis of what the data is. And it was never deliberately something against the president. In fact, you spoke about my emails. You look at my emails. I never in the email said anything derogatory about President Trump. Well, the true mark of someone is if they look good, even when their personal emails come out. So you, you pass the test that very few of us would, would pass. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you for spending some time with us today talking about all of it. We're always grateful to get some of your time. Of course, if engineers and technicians designed, tested, deployed, and maintained mission-critical solutions based on the idea that science is a self-correcting process, we're in trouble. This is a dangerous, self-focused man that is better suited for a manipulative, public-facing role than a career in the hard sciences. At 80 years old, he's not likely he'll ever come up to grips with this reality or even care. He's on the defensive, claiming his emails were taken out of context. No maskers loser of the day is. Dr. Anthony Fauci. By the way, I want to make a prediction here. Dr. Anthony Fauci will be removed from his position soon. He will disappear from the conversation as Bill Gates has already. Fauci is a liability. If investigations into the Wuhan lab funding implicate him, some kind of damage control must take place. A friend of mine sent to me a graphic of the world's most interesting man looking into the camera and saying, let me get ahead of this. I don't think Fauci killed himself. Nothing more than feelings. Of course, it's time now for the Feelings Walensky Report. Current CDC Director Rochelle Walensky has said, I am deeply concerned by the numbers of hospitalized adolescents. Walensky is referring to an age group, teenagers 20 through 17, which very rarely are hospitalized at the peak of the pandemic. The CDC's own mortality data for the age group is published for all to see. Teens of ages 12 through 17 enjoy a, get this, 99.997% survival rate if they even become infected. Nevertheless, as of June 4, 2021, the published CDC recommendation obviously hit a major alarm button. Quote, until they are fully vaccinated, adolescents should continue to wear masks and take precautions when around others who are not vaccinated to protect themselves and their family, friends, and community. I ask parents, relatives, and close friends to join me and talk with teens about the importance of these prevention strategies and to encourage them to get vaccinated. 
If parents or their teenagers have questions or concern, I suggest they talk with their adolescent's health care provider, local health department, or neighborhood pharmacist, unquote. This is the group of people, this age group, 12 through 17, which an increasing number of doctors and scientists have noticed are being targeted by the vaccine spike protein itself. A specific CDC morbidity and mortality weekly report was used to justify all the panic. The report is not a study, and the report does not actually say what Walensky was implying. It says there was a slight increase, not a surge, in hospitalizations among adolescents from March to April after the vaccination programs began. Approximately 70% of those hospitalized had at least one underlying medical condition, and only 5% ended up on ventilation, which Walensky had referred to as a concern. Two-thirds of the hospitalized adolescents were identified as either African-American or Latino. And don't miss this. None of the adolescents in the study actually died from COVID-19. Walensky flatly claimed, vaccination is our way out of this pandemic. Yet it's just as likely that the vaccine is the cause of the increase in hospitalizations among this age group. I encourage you to actually read the report. I brought this up two months ago in my last podcast, Episode 6, Flypaper Noses and Yugo Scamming. It wasn't conspiracy theorists driving my understanding. It was the actual published data. These are people hiding behind papers that they know most people won't bother to actually read. My COVID experience, what was yours? Like most folks, I once believed there was a pandemic level virus on the loose, which killed without regard to age or race. Having a rudimentary knowledge of mathematics, I knew that wearing a mask would be largely ineffectual in stopping the spread of any virus. When the droplet theory came out, I almost bought into it. However, I came to my senses after reading the actual mask studies in place at the time. There were no qualified studies which concluded that any kind of mask, particularly cloth masks, were effective against viral pathogens. We were being told there was when there really wasn't. From the beginning, I've only worn a mask once to obtain a necessary blood test from my doctor in order to obtain a thyroid hormone. It truly came down to wearing a mask or die. I have no thyroid. In order to avoid wearing a mask, I sought out other doctors, and I found that many of the small-town non-network general practitioners were now out of business. Blood draw clinics also required masks, and a few of them had also gone out of business. I called around for legal help, but there were no civil rights attorneys in my area. The ones in the big city required me to wear a mask. It wouldn't matter anyway. Courtrooms had largely been shuttered for months in my state due to the COVID scare. It is shameful that I had to wear a class one medical device as identified by the FDA and was never prescribed to me by my doctor in order to obtain life-saving medical attention. I made sure the staff knew how I felt. 
I'm ashamed of my doctor for having to wear a mask for that five minutes in the nose bag. Living in a rural area, I have been otherwise lucky. I could get in and out of most places maskless with impunity. The only Karen I ran into was coming out of a tractor supply maskless with a carp full of chicken feed heading to my Jeep in the parking lot. I saw a tractor supply customer tie his filthy used mask to the driver's door handle. He sped off before I could confront him, possibly thinking he had taught me some kind of lesson. Lest anyone think I don't have any skin in the game, I had to quit my job. I gave up my defense security clearance. I had to retire several years early, all because I refused to comply with corporate and government mask mandates. We all have stories about how we've dealt with these COVID issues. Mine's but one of millions, and I'd love to hear about yours. Send them to online support at nomaskers.org, and I'll get the good ones posted on the website so we all can see them. One more important thing. No Maskers was nearly shut down this month due to a lack of financial support, but saved by just a couple of donations. If podcasts like this, the news, links, videos, resources, etc. mean anything to you at all, all it takes is a few bucks from just a few of you. I'm not a marketing person and I hate pitches for money. If we get more support, there'll be hats, t-shirts, and other No Maskers merchandise in the store. If we get more support, features like polls, list of onboard businesses, lists of abusive businesses, etc. can be implemented. But right now, we're not even meeting the minimal costs of just running the NoMaskers servers. And if this doesn't change, then this all will end. Until next time, this is Fielding R. Nolan. Be the leader. Be safe, healthy, prosperous, and mask-free. Thank you for listening to another no maskers podcast this effort is made possible only by your financial support truly appreciate your donations you can find us at nomaskers.org until next time don't consent breathe